It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. The UN says acute hunger has spiked around the world, with a number of people facing famine rising by 3 million over the past year. But this year's spike is largely due to surging food insecurity in Afghanistan, where more than half the population is malnourished. Aid agencies say millions of children could starve to death. This week, Afghanistan got some rare attention in Congress at a hearing in which Senator Chris Murphy, a Democrat from Connecticut, quizzed witnesses about the U.S.-fueled crisis unfolding there. And I'd like you all to give us a little bit of advice as to how Uh, we best unlock the significant amount of money that the United States currently has um, in its possession and at its disposal to try to address this crisis. Um, In February, President Biden authorized $3.5 billion, that's about half of Afghanistan's frozen assets, to be used, quote, for the benefit of the Afghan people. But um, three months later, we have not yet figured out what that international financing mechanism is still hasn't been set up. First up was David Beasley, executive director of the World Food Program, whose organization has been trying to get food directly to those in need without it passing through the government's hands. And so we actually sat down with the Taliban and said, look, no one's going to give you money. Let it go directly to us without your fingerprints being on it. And they, I would say consented, but didn't matter. But it worked out with money came directly to us. But because of the lack of funding, we're having to cut back, cut back, cut back, and at least try to reach those and knocking on famine's door. But we've got to unleash those funds, whatever it takes, because otherwise you either got to appropriate more dollars, and if you don't, you're going to have famine, you have destabilization, which means you have more migration coming out of Afghanistan, and you're going to have an extraordinary amount of recruitment by extremist groups uh, for terrorist training activities. Next was Jada Doyen McKenna, CEO of Mercy Corps, a global humanitarian NGO. We've seen news accounts of families selling off young young girls for dowry money because there's just no money coming in. Opium production is through the roof. We, we need to be able to start, we need to, to help starve, save people from starvation. But money coming directly to your programming does not enrich the no. Taliban in any way, shape, or form. No, and we've been working with Treasury to create different rules and such so that we can program those funds. This is long overdue in a world in which we are starved for resources, here lies, for the time being, $3.5 billion that is ready to go. Um, And you have pointed out that the programming you're running on the ground right now directly benefits the Afghan people without unjustly profiting uh, the Taliban. Um, You are not alone in that club. There are plenty of mechanisms um, that will allow us to do both save lives and make sure that this money doesn't end up in the hands of the wrong people. And so my hope is that this committee can work with the administration to expedite uh, a mechanism to get that money released. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Now, the idea that the U.S. needs a new mechanism to get Afghanistan's money to Afghanistan is a bit absurd. We spent 20 years building an independent central bank there that remains functional and independent. 
the reserves belong to the bank and could simply be returned to the bank. The U.S. would be able to monitor the movement of the money and pull it if we didn't like what was happening. We're not sitting on the money because we can't figure out what to do with it. We're sitting on it because that's what we want to do. The result has been a collapse of the Afghan economy. In January, we spoke with Afghan journalist Masood Shinzai about the conditions there. This week, we're checking back in with him. Well, Masood Shinzai, welcome back to Deconstructed. Thank you for joining me again. Thank you, Ryan. Uh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So we spoke last time about mid-January, about four months ago. About a month after you and I spoke, uh, the Biden administration announced that it had finally made a decision about what it was going to do with the central bank assets, the central bank reserves of the Afghan central bank that it had seized. And it said it was going to split it. It was going to take half of the central bank reserves and spend it on helping the Afghan people. And it was going to take the other half and it was going to give it to victims of 9-11. Now, when you and I uh, first first spoke, we talked a lot about these central bank reserves and the way that they had how their seizure had basically brought the economy to a halt in the same way that if some foreign country seized all the assets of the you know US Federal Reserve the economy would just grind to a halt so at the time people were you were you said people were you know burning furniture selling furniture just to survive and this was mid January so nothing has changed in terms of the assets being released but what was the what was the winter like what was what was January and February like is there a new normal there and, and how are you doing? Thank you so much. Uh, I'm doing well. I'm doing fine. The winter was a very bad winter for all the people in Afghanistan, uh, especially for the poor people in the winter. When you were roaming around the streets in the city, you would see women in, in the harshest weather conditions under the snow, and they were they used to be sitting on the street and begging, and it was a very bad situation. What what's it like now? Now also, you know, the, the poverty is still there. It's not lifted. And, and you know, the people are now used to the life, uh, to the new life. But still, there are a lot of beggars, the number of poor people, the number of jobless people. The pro poverty is increasing. Nothing dramatic has happened to change the situation. And without saying anything that would get you in, in trouble, like what what's a what's a typical day or a typical week like? for you? Well, for me, I'm a local producer and local journalist and I'm working. I'm, I'm, I'm busy uh, with Western journalists and filmmakers uh, most of the time. And so we have no problems working. We have no problems roaming around the country with, with Western journalists. Like last week, we were uh, traveling to Kandahar, to Helmand, to Lashkargah, to places which were the strongholds of the Taliban of the history and we had no issues from security wise mm -hmm. and, and uh, yeah and these are you're traveling with western journalists yeah i'm traveling with western journalists we we traveled uh, from uh, helmand to kabul uh, by road and uh, like for uh, i think it was 15 16 hours we had no issues we were traveling at night as well how does that compare to before the taliban took over well, security-wise, it's much better because at that time, the Taliban, they were targeting Westerners, they were targeting Americans. But now they are very hospitable to, to Western uh, journalists and other, other Westerners. So it's changed a lot. 
what accounts for that change? You think just because now they're in power and the war's over that they're not, or, or is there something else going on that, that explains why there's this, this freedom of movement amid basically a famine? Well, they are saying that now it's peace, the war is over, we were fighting because Afghanistan was uh, under uh, American occupation and, and uh, there the were Americans, other Westerners with their weapons and guns to kill us and now they are not coming here to kill us, they are coming for, for other business, so, so we are happy to have them and uh, we, we have the responsibility to pr protect everyone, uh, including the Afghans themselves. So they, they, they feel this responsibility to protect any visitors and, and uh, everyone in the country. And since you're able to stay busy with work, I, I would imagine that you probably feel some responsibility for a lot of family or friends. Are you helping other people or you know, how, much, how much strain is there on people who are able to find work in the, in the Afghan economy? Yes, it is. The, 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 you, you have to help other families like relatives like families like friends so so yeah there is strain on, on people who are working you know i have friends who are working in the united states and other places and they are helping each of them are helping more than two families so i have a friend who is helping five families he's, he's in the u.s and he's helping five families in here in afghanistan and given the the sanctions how is how are they getting money back is it mostly a crypto uh actually um, uh, the banks are still not operating and, and the, the situation with the banks is still mm -hmm. a very bad situation if you have money in the bank you have to wait and you will only be able to get uh, a, a portion of your your money there are other ways like the exchange um, the exchange and then if uh, they want to send money to afghanistan they either have to bring cash or uh, wired to to banks in Dubai, and then from Dubai they they um, use the exchange services to transfer it to to the country. And then the Western uh, Westerners who are coming to Afghanistan, all of them they bring cash. Uh, MoneyGram has started operating. I think uh, Western Union is also now working. So people are not very really used to crypto. This the crypto is just a possibility in in, mm -hmm. in, in, in a critical situation. What do people do? in Afghanistan with, with crypto once they've gotten it in? Is there, can you trade it with other other people? I know it's just a, a small thing on the side, but it's, I've been curious to of how that's unfolding. Yes, crypto, uh, the, the, the people I know who are into this crypto, they, they are just trading crypto for USD or they are trading crypto mm -hmm. with other crypto just to, to make a living on that. And, and some of them, unfortunately, they lose money and there are some who are making right. money and they, they, they are uh, just uh, surviving on that. And so you talked about how the banks are still basically not open and that's directly a function of the U.S. seizing the Afghan central bank's funds. And last time we spoke, importers were having a very hard time as well because that's a function that's very dependent on the central bank as well, balance of payments. What's the status with the kind of functioning of the economy generally. Like when, when we spoke, you said that there were an enormous number of shops that had just closed, that workers weren't able to get paychecks and people weren't able to import goods. Has any of that shaken up as a result of other countries coming in or, or more, more creative ways of maneuvering through the economy? Or is it still in a pretty frozen state? 
No, you know, you know, like the, the normal shops who are like groceries, supermarkets and the, the electronics, the, these shops are operating. But the big businesses, like the other businesses, they are not able, like, I can give you an example, like uh, uh, 270 media outlets who were operating in Afghanistan uh, before the fall, uh, they closed, they closed in the last couple of months. So that's just an example. Like universities, they, they have downsized their staff they, and many other businesses like big factories uh, who are working they, because there is no exports and they are not able to import raw material. They are closed factoring companies. So only the basic basic necessities like flour, like rice, oil, these things because they, they are the basic necessities and, and, and we have to have them somehow, you know, they they will, uh, the traders, they, they find some, some ways to, to, to import them. How are the prices? The prices are, uh, compared to, to last year, May, they are higher. They are very high. The dollar value has come down a little bit since we last spoke. One dollar right now is around 85 Afghan currency. You know, the the prices uh, spiked very much in the winter and in the first months of the w- winter. But now, because there is some dollars coming into the country with United Nations aid, so for that reason, the dollars uh, has has come down a little bit. Right, because when, when we had spoken, there were very few dollars, it feels like, in just circulating throughout the economy. And that even as the central bank hasn't been able to operate as it wants to, the UN just pumping some money in in kind of a Keynesian way. That's so. That's that you're starting to see that have an effect. You're starting to see dollars circulate again. Yeah, yeah. That that has some effect on on the on the, do, on the dollars, uh, but there's still still uh, no liquidity. You know, very little liquidity in the money markets. The injection of the UN dollars is not helping so much. You know, mm-hmm. the the UN report uh, about the food security, it says that there are 20 million Afghans. You know, we are, the, the total population is around 35 million. So there are 20 million Afghans are facing acute food insecurity. They are either in, in crisis condition or in emergency condition. But, but you know, three, four months ago, it was 22 million. So it's improved only by 2 million. There are still 20 million people who are facing acute uh, food insecurity. And what does that look like? You know, we're over here in the United States, we just got numbers on our annual inflation and it our inflation rose, I think, 8.5% over, you know, year year over year. And it has the American people apoplectic with rage. Uh, the gas prices are up, food prices are up. We currently have a, a shortage actually of, of infant formula. Uh, but, I'm, but I'm curious what it looks like and just compared to, you know, Afghanistan prior, what it means to have 20 million people who are facing this acute, does it change the culture? Are people angrier at each other? Are people just staying inside a lot more? I mean, what what does it do to a society to have so many people just simply unable to afford to feed themselves efficiently? Well, firstly, people people become disappointed and hopeless and then uh, they try to leave the country. Thousands of people are every day getting out of the country. Into Iran or which direction are they headed? Yeah, yeah, into Iran. And some people are then trying to, to go to Turkey. 
and then from there to European countries with a lot of poverty in the society. The number of crimes increases, like kidnappings in some cities. The situation in most cities is good, but in I, I recently hear that the number of uh, kidnappings in Herat, in the western uh, city of Herat, it's 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 now again uh, it started. Uh, people get kidnapped and there are robberies and carjacking. So this is worrying people, and people get depressed. So people are so depressed, uh, you know, the psychological situation. Uh, before the change in the power, they were also stressed out. They were depressed because of the war. Everybody, people were dying, and in bombings and in fightings and this. But now people are so stressed out because of because of no jobs, because of no no money and a lot of unemployment. You know, according to Seeger report, Special Inspector General for Reconstruction of Afghanistan, they reported that 900,000 people lost jobs uh, in Afghanistan. Women, basically women, are so affected because women are hurt the most because they, they lost, most of the women lost jobs. There are still women working. And why did they lose, why did they lose jobs at the, is the Taliban allowing women to work, or are their they their jobs disappeared? Uh, no, uh, the Taliban uh, are allowing women to work, but those women who are working in higher positions in the government, they lost their jobs because Taliban members replaced them. And then some 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 businesses that were employing women, they they um, reduced their number of staff or, or they they closed. And some some business women who were employing other women they left the country and then their businesses were closed so different uh, different uh, situation I, I know you can't answer for everybody in the country but if if people had known you know last summer when the, when the US uh, withdrew or were driven out uh, that the US would also seize all of the central bank assets and and basically shut down the Afghan economy and create these famine conditions how how would people have responded? Would, would people rather have the night raids and the bombings and the war with a functioning economy, or do they prefer the relative peace and security while uh, so many are you know fleeing and starving to death? Or is it just an absurd question because people are just fleeing, and so the answer is neither. Um, there is an answer actually. You know that the. The answer is uh, the, the people will be divided to answer this question into people in the urban, in the cities, and to people in the rural areas. So the people uh, in the rural areas who were mostly working in agriculture, but because of the war and fighting and the night raids and the bombings, they were not, they were not uh, having a good life and they were being killed. They, they were not able to work properly in their farms. Those people are are happy. They are happy that the war is over and and then they they can work freely and that they they are not losing their relatives or family members. But uh, in the cities, in the cities at that time, the the fighting was not in the cities. Mm-hmm. Peace in the cities to some degrees, and then people had jobs and they had freedom and they had uh, freedom of speech and a lot of other things. And uh, they they they. Uh, lost it they lost their jobs and they, they they are some of them or most of them or you can say i can't tell you how what percentage but uh, they uh, they would rather have the war and 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 jobs so 
it's it's uh, difficult to answer you know because even in the cities mm-hmm. there are some people who who are uh, not satisfied with the current situation with the economic uh, challenges but then there are some who are happy because of this the security and the peace that's there when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at bluenile.com you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to bluenile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at bluenile.com for $50 off your purchase. bluenile.com code LISTEN. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. There was also news recently that the the Taliban is now ordering women to cover head to toe. How was that received and is it being followed there was a little bit of news of some some small protests here and there what, what what's been the fallout from that announcement so yeah there was uh, some small protests uh, in in capital city of kabul this new uh, uh, announcement it's not enforced yet so people uh, you know people of afghanistan they normally the women they normally observe hijab so it doesn't make a difference for mo- for most people mm-hmm. uh, so uh, the face covering uh, uh, you know the burqa is not compulsory the burqa is part of the afghan society but it's not compulsory but the other hijab it's open for some interpretation because it says that the normal or the the customary hijab is also considered a hijab with a head covering but uh, it says that uh, in in some cases when a woman when a woman who is not too young and or not old if she faces a, a stranger and then there if, if there is some temptation so according to the sharia law they have to cover their faces except their eyes so this is uh, vague and uh, so but still uh, there is some reaction from some women in the on social media and uh, in kabul city so w- w- when the Taliban rolled this out, did, what was their explanation for why this was necessary at, the, at this point? And, and does it conflict with anything that they had said when they were coming back into power and claiming to be a kind of reformed Taliban? So uh, they are saying that uh, Afghanistan is a, an Islamic country. The entire population of Afghanistan are Muslim. And hijab is a part of the Islamic law and, and the Islamic religion. I guess what I'm getting at, is it an indication of which factions within the Taliban are, are winning the internal battles for, for control? Well, uh, we don't know actually who is winning and they, there's uh, not a lot of fighting going on among them. There's, the public don't know what's going on. But there are, you know, the two factions, but they, they always say that we are one and we have no any, we don't have any dispute or we do not disagree on anything. So we really don't know who is winning and who is losing. Because the government that, that was formed in in September, that's, it's still the same government, the same people are running the government, and the same ministers, the prime minister is the same, the leader is the same, nothing has changed. And the U.S. hasn't really offered any serious explanation for why it is 
creating so much death and, and misery in Afghanistan, but often the rationale is that these types of approaches to a country will get the people to then be angry at the government. And so it's, it's a way to weaken the government. What is people's attitudes toward the Taliban at this point? And is, is the suffering kind of redounding against them? Well, you know, uh, the people are not blaming just the, the, the Taliban for, for the suffering. They blame the U.S., they blame the former government, they blame the, the Taliban as well. So they, they, they all, Taliban are a part of this. So, you know, uh, there are some things that people like about the Taliban, like they, they, they stopped, uh, they, they uh, put an end to the war, they put an end to the corruption in the, in the, in the past, and they, to the bombings, to the airstrikes and these things. There are just some things that, that people don't like about the Taliban, like, like they're not allowing all the girls to go to school. You know, they are just allowing girls from grade one to grade six, uh, and then they're allowing girls to go to universities, but just uh, the, and the girls from grade 7 to grade 12 are not yet allowed to go to school. So people are, are angry about this and also about uh, inclusivity and uh, women. That's also an issue. There have also been reports of some attacks uh, from ISIL against some uh, Shia sites of worship. Uh, where have those been happening and are, are those creating any in- environment of of fear or in insecurity, or are these, or have these been pretty isolated events? Uh, well, in the month of Ramadan, uh, there were some uh, some attacks in in Kabul, like two, three, and one in Kunduz, uh, which killed around fifty or something people, uh, the, the Shia people, and uh, but uh, recently it's 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 quiet right now. Uh, we haven't seen anything lately so in the last month yes there were some attacks but it's not everywhere there are just some right isolated attacks by the isis and the taliban are trying to fight them and find them and they are arresting them so if you had to talk about what the afghan economy is at this point like what what would you say is the kind of industry that the society is based on and and is it you know, if if it's in the agricultural sector, is it is it starting to come back at all? Well, the economy of Afghanistan is is, is uh, relied on mostly on agriculture, but then on on services. The agriculture is also, uh, you know, we had a drought last year, and this year also we haven't seen much uh, precipitation, and uh, we didn't have a lot of snow, so so we fear that we we're we might have a drought this year as well, which will affect the people and the economy. So even the United Nations reports also fearing a drought and a, a bad economic situation because of a drought. And the services uh, um, sector is also affected because there is uh, less liquidity and less money and most of the people, most of the businesses, they are not making enough money to survive and some of them are closing what effect has the war in ukraine russia's invasion of ukraine had well uh, until now uh, it uh, has not had significant impact but uh, there is fears that maybe because afghanistan has a shortage of food uh, and wheat and, and these these uh, commodities that we are importing from countries like kazakhstan and uh, central asian 
countries. Ukraine is one of the big exporters of wheat. So there are fears that there may be a shortage of food commodities and, and this will affect Afghanistan because uh, the, the, the agriculture of Afghanistan is uh, not self-reliant and there is still shortage and the food price might increase. So that that's the fear about the war in Ukraine, and me and also the fuel prices. Oh yeah, how are how are fuel prices? Yeah, the fuel prices have gone up uh, dramatically since last year, and and the, some of the commodities they, they the prices uh, came down a little bit, but the fuel prices they did uh, it did not come come down. It's still high. There were some hints that China was looking um, to get more closely involved with uh, with Afghanistan now that the U.S. had had left. Have have those overtures led to anything? Well, um, the, there are some Chinese businesses. Uh, they, they are, I see them, they come here and they are looking for, for businesses uh, to do business with Afghans, to, to work in the, in the mining industry and other industries. So we haven't seen anything big yet, uh, but uh, maybe in the future, because they are still working and politically, uh, they are close with the government. Uh, Chinese are close with them, uh, but they haven't uh, said anything about the recognition. So I think uh, all the countries are waiting for the United States to recognize the new government. So then every other country will recognize it, even the China. Mm-hmm. Is there any hope among the public that that's going to happen at some point relatively soon? Or are people just resigned to just living the, this, this life until something changes? Well, there is, there is hope uh, that the U.S. will recognize the government because if they do not recognize, uh, everybody fears that something really bad will happen to Afghanistan. And uh, even the Taliban are... Uh, hoping that the U.S. will recognize even the lower rank. Uh, they, they hope that the U.S. will recognize and will normalize their relationship with Afghanistan because even after the, the, the war with the Soviets, the U.S. Uh, in, during the war was helping the Afghans. But after the war, they just left Afghanistan behind and they forgot about Afghanistan. And then uh, there was a civil war and then it became a sanctuary for terrorist organizations. So now, again, um, they hope that the U.S. will recognize so that uh, the economic situation will stabilize and the relationship with the rest of the world will normalize so that the people, the economy will get better and, and then it will become a country like other countries of the world. Hey, given what you were saying about the crime and violence starting to spike in cities like Herat, like how long do you think the Taliban could hold on under these conditions before they just buckle into a into a failed state and a and another civil war the way that the pattern played out in the 1990s well i i think they are good in in, in controlling violence and in controlling security and in controlling these uh, crimes Cr- the number of crimes in herat is not as much as there used to be before like a year ago or a few years ago. Oh, so so it's up, it's up, but it's not up to where it was even before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. U.S. occupation. I see. Exactly. So you, so in other words, Afghanistan could push ahead in this dire situation, and it seems like for a very long time, with people just continuing to flee 
but not really affecting the stability of the government. Yeah, but also, you know, in, in some parts of the northern Afghanistan, I don't know, actually, because I haven't been there. Like in social media, I can see uh, people are talking about some fightings in Panjshir and hmm. on the Rab areas, the northern resistance. They sometimes attack the Taliban or sometimes they plant IEDs. But I haven't been there, so um, I don't know. And something like more than a million Afghan refugees have fled to Iran. And I'm wondering if you have any sense of what the effect has been inside Iran, because part of me, as I work backwards from this, I start to wonder, well, let's look who's benefiting, who's suffering from this. I, I would imagine that there are some operatives within the U.S. government who see a weakening of Iran as a, as a benefit of this situation. You mean, uh, you mean the, uh, Iran is weakening by the, the refugees? Like the, the, in the same way that, say, Europe was destabilized in the wake of the Syrian refugee crisis, mm. that they, maybe they suspect that Iran would be destabilized by a, an Afghan refugee crisis. Um, maybe. I really don't know. Because the refugees who are in, uh, in Iran, they're just uh, hoping that they will get out of Iran and go to European countries. Uh, and, and because the, in, in Iran, uh, the Afghan refugees, they are treated very badly by, by the Iranian regime and by the Iranian uh, people. So they, they have a very miserable situation there as well. So, so they're, tr they're hoping that it will be some type of a way station yes. to get into Europe. Yes, yes. How many are successful? Do you have a sense of how many are successfully making that journey? Well, it's a very difficult job. You know, they have to illegally uh, cross the border to Turkey and most of them they get caught by the Iranian police and then they are deported back to Afghanistan. So very few of them, they, they, they succeed. Most of them, they fail. Right, because then once in Turkey, then they have to cross. Do they cross the Mediterranean or are they going through Eastern Europe? Yeah, I, I think they, they are crossing the Mediterranean Sea and to, to uh, Greece and then to the Eastern Europe. So do you, what, what do you see for... Afghanistan this this spring and summer? Well, uh, recently there was a news about a decision by the Taliban government that they will, they will have a high council or a grand assembly about the future of Afghanistan, about the future government of Afghanistan. So that announcement and that uh, decision raised some hope about the future of Afghanistan. So I think uh, if uh, something like that happens, if they uh, you know, in the past we had Loya Jirga, which is like a grand, mm -hmm. a grand council of all the people representing uh, all the people of Afghanistan. So if something that happens and they they come up with a constitution and uh, and decide on an inclusive government, and then then uh, they, there will be some hope for the future of Afghanistan. And if if the, the system stays the same, so the situation. Uh, I don't know how it will it will improve. And so this Lloyd Jirga type of conference, could that be a way in for the United States to say, okay, this is enough for us? Like, is that, is that the hope? Yeah, I think so. So because uh, the United States and the international community, they, they, they are saying that uh, they expect the Taliban to include other, other parts uh, of the society in the, in the politics, in the government, and also allow all the girls to go to school and, and have a, a government that's acceptable to all the 
people of this country. So if that happens, and then there will be no reason for the international community and the United States not to recognize uh, Afghanistan and the government. So how how are Kandahar and Helmand? You you said you recently traveled there. What what did you see there? Well, uh, we we went there uh, like uh, around uh, at the end of April. It was Eid, which is a, a Muslim holiday, a religious holiday, and uh, I, I I traveled there with uh, some American reporters and filmmakers uh, to Kandahar. We went there to to cover the the Eid prayer, which is a, which is a very big ceremony and. And the leader of the Taliban came in a, a surprise public appearance. We we were there, but but the cameras, the the reporters were not allowed to get close to him to see him or to film him. But he he uh, he appeared there. Uh, the people who were inside the the mosque they saw him and and he led the prayer. He had a message, and also the situation there in Kandahar, the the security was very good uh, because you know when when we went into the mosque. There was no searching of the people. Everybody could go freely. Hmm. Uh, even, even, even the the their, uh, the, the leader uh, was coming. Oh wow! We don't do that here in the United States. <laughs> you don't. Okay. No, you get in to get in just to you know to get into the capital or anything else. It's, uh, you can get onto an airplane. In fact, you have to go through metal detectors here. Yeah, yeah, but nothing such was there, so everybody could go there without getting searched, which was uh, something new. And also, we traveled to Helmand to 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 Garamsir. Uh, you must have heard of Garamsir, which is uh, which is a you know a very big stronghold of the Taliban. And we were driving through the to the roads there for hours. And the 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 security was very good there. And you know the American reporters and, and journalists they they were they were very well by the people and and by the by the the members of the the Taliban. So this was really interesting. Were the journalists surprised by this? Was it different than their previous trips through the region? Well, um, yes, uh, they said it was different from before because during the American invasion, they they had traveled, but they never uh, they were embedded uh, with the American Marine Forces, mm. and they never went out of the bases without security. Um, but now they were among the people. And talking to the people, talking to the to the members of the Taliban. Did they say it uh, changed anything about what they thought about the the region or the conflict or the country? Getting getting to actually speak freely to people. Yes, yes, they they freely said to the people that I was here. For example, I was here ten years ago. I was with the Marines, and uh, and uh, I was making reports about the war, and now I'm here again to. To see what's the difference and uh, whether the people are happy that the uh, Americans have left and these kind of things, they were uh, they were speaking freely with the people. Mm-hmm. Right. How well? How was how's the economic situation in in Kandahar Helmand compared to Kabul? Kandahar situation seemed better than than Kabul because uh, in Kandahar. You could hardly see many beggars in the streets, but in Kabul there are so many. Like if you drive through the streets, every minute you will see uh, a few beggars to 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 ask for help, ask for money. What do you think explains that? It is it that the NGO economy had just so completely cratered in Kabul, and there was less of a 
less of that Western economy in Kandahar to begin with? Or what, why do you think Kandahar has weathered this collapse better than Kabul? Um, I think in Kabul, uh, there were a lot of uh, businesses, NGOs and other organizations where people used to work and they were employed. And, and then so many of them closed people, a lot of people lost jobs and there was a lot of construction going on and now it's not going on. But Kandahar, Kandahar is a border city, you know, it has border with the Pakistan and it has a lot of trade uh, going on there. So people are busy with, with trading and smuggling and this kind of business and they are still making money mm-hmm. gotcha. uh, on the border. Gotcha, makes sense. Great, well Masood, thanks again for joining me. You're welcome, Brian. Thank you so much. Thanks for for having me. That was Masood Shnazai, and that's our show. Deconstructed is a production of First Look Media and The Intercept. Our producer is Zach Young. Laura Flynn is our supervising producer. The show was mixed by William Stanton. Our theme music was composed by Bart Warshaw. Betsy Reed is The Intercept's editor-in-chief. And I'm Ryan Grimm, D.C. Bureau Chief of The Intercept. If you'd like to support our work, go to theintercept.com slash give. Your donation, no matter what the amount, makes a real difference. And if you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to also check out Intercepted as well as Murderville, which is now in its second season. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the show so you can hear it every week. And please go and leave us a rating or review. Even if you've done it already, go back and leave another one. It helps people find the show. If you want to give us additional feedback, email us at podcasts at theintercept.com. Thanks so much. See you soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.